I want to work less. Sexually, I want to explore more, of mm-hmm. course. More, you know, things that I don't even know that exist. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to to have fun. I think that I have always been like very serious, you know, or like not allowing me to have just like simple fun, you know, enjoying life just because so I want to have less be less responsible. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. I am so delighted to welcome Flora Proverbio to the My Fourth Act podcast. Flora is an anti-aging activist who works to change the current storytelling about post-50 life. Her career in strategic planning and innovation began in Miami, and led her to work in New York City, Los Angeles, Shanghai, Madrid, Moscow, and in Latin America, working for mass consumption, finance, and the automotive industry. Today, Flora helps companies and organizations to grow by satisfying the needs of the elderly. She also is a founder of Plateadas, a community for women over the age of 50. In this community, says Flora, We share stories and experiences. We laugh and think while we make the most of this vibrant part of life. Hello, Flora, and welcome to the My Fourth Act podcast. Hello, Achiliman. Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. I so look forward to this conversation. Like me, you and I have had this international lives, but you are originally from Argentina. You live in Argentina now. I'm always curious. So when you were growing up in Argentina and you thought about what you wanted to do with your life, what were you dreaming about? When I was a kid, I wanted to be an actress. Actually, I went to study with the greatest theater coach, whatever, and I was like 11, 12, and he put me in the teenagers group. So this, this is a story about age. That's why yeah. I'm, I'm telling this. So he put me in the teenagers group, but you know, like being 12, 11, and being a teenager is completely different life stage. So he asked why we were there, why we were interested in acting, and these teenagers, great explanations about feeling and being someone else. And I was an 11 year old girl and I was like um well because I like it and I didn't know how to say and I felt so self-conscious that I never came back Mm. so perhaps my fourth act is the moment to come back to that dream you know I never went back and my mom was like why don't you want to go no I didn't like it but the truth is that the age difference made me feel uncomfortable As you're talking, I just think about how powerful and sometimes not so nice those experiences are. When I was the age you described, 11, I wanted to learn how to play the piano. 
and we lived in Turkey and there was a German piano teacher. And without knowing me, he told my parents, I don't think your son has any talent for piano. And so I never learned the piano and and I've done other things, but you just realize if something else had been said, I might've studied the piano, right? So those conversations. You never went back to piano. No, and I have no yearning for it. So it's not, I don't feel like I missed out on something. But as you're talking, you know, how I'm remembering how important early encouragement is or yeah. can be if we're in the right place with the right teacher and the right mentor. You worked for a long time in this, to me, very fascinating field, strategic branding. I want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about Sachin Sachi because I used to live around the corner from the Sachin Sachi offices in Manhattan. I've been in those offices. To, oh. But to me, Sachi oh. and Sachi is a very specific place. And I remember the energy and spirit of it. But before we go there, how did you end up in strategic branding? Like, how did that happen? Oh. Well, during between my 20s and my 30s, I was like in a gray cloud, I would say. The, you know, those periods in life where nothing, you feel like nothing happened. Oh, I don't want to start with a lot of drama, please. Uh, <laughs> when I was <laughs> when I was 20, I was raped by seven men. Mm. So that was a tough experience. And you know that back then people didn't speak that much about those kind of things. Yeah. You know, like after the Me Too movement, whatever, like people speak more about that. Nevertheless, I decided to speak about what had happened to me, but I think that society wasn't ready to deal with a story like that. So nevertheless, I continued going to university. I tried to work, but you know, like I put a lot of emotion and energy just on continuing, but like nothing seemed to work. So suddenly I met my ex-husband the week that he was moving to Miami because MTV, MTV back then was like, you know, like the place where everybody wanted to work. I met him, but that week he was moving to Miami. We were together a couple of days. Then he went to Miami, goodbye, have a nice life, whatever. I'll always remember you. It was with, and a year later, he called me like, you know, like we had such a great energy. Why don't you come to Miami to visit me? So I went to Miami. I loved it. I fell in love with him also. So I stayed in Miami. And in Argentina, I had studied uh, apparel design. Mm -hmm. So I started working with companies. Like back then, you know, like the internet wasn't what it is now. So what I did is like I prepared packages of big fashion trends Mm -hmm. and what they meant in culture, for example, for the 200th anniversary of the French Revolution. The colors that year were in fashion blue, red, and white. So like translating what was going on in society and why fashion that year was what it was. And I was like, oh, I really like this. I really like trends, understanding what is happening in the culture and why people behave how they do. And I wanted to study something related to that. And I was living in Miami Beach and I didn't know what to study. (laughs) related to that and I met someone in a bar that said you know what that is called 
back then it was called planning, communication planning or something like that. And and in Miami Beach, you have a wonderful place, which is the Miami Art School. And it's the best place in the whole country to study that. And how great that is, that it was like two blocks away from my house. So I was like, okay, I'll just do that. And I, and I love it. And I started working in advertising. So someone from the school hired me to work in an advertising agency. I really wanted to work in content. It wasn't called consumer content or branded content back then, but that is what I wanted to do. But this person called me to work in an advertising agency for General Motors. So I started working in advertising. So from there, I went to another agency. Then I moved. This was for the Hispanic market. You know, most of the Hispanic agencies are in the Hispanic market. Then I got divorced, I moved to New York and I started working. I did what what we Latinos call the crossover when uh-huh. you are able to yes. move into the general market and start working for the general market, what means better salaries, better no. uh, companies, etc. So I started working in an American advertising agency there and then Sachi and Sachi hired me. So I worked in advertising in the States for 10 years. And then Sachi hired me and brought me back to Latin America. Well, so I'm curious in doing those 10 years in in the crossover market. uh, The company that you worked for, did they appreciate the fact that you were Latina? Was that an asset? Did, were you, was that, did they use you to add value from your experience and perspective? What was that like? Well, actually, I was hired because I was Latina, because they work uh, for a global client for Europe, some Asian countries, the U.S., of course, and they had just got the Latin America account. Basically, they would do the same thing, but there were some cultural, you know, like things that weren't working that well with the client, and the client was Argentinian, as I was. So mm-hmm. actually I was, they brought me like to, to bridge that relationship, you know, right. to make it work easier, what, what it did actually, yeah. yeah. Like I was Argentinian, so he was very happy to have someone from Argentina working the, in the account. That's wonderful, and make it, it makes complete sense. That if you're an international company and with international clients, you have international people representing you, right? It's just mm-hmm. sort of a no-brainer. I want to get to the work you're doing now and how you got to it, which is very different or is an evolution of it. But because I happen to respect the Sachi and Sachi brand a lot, and if I remember correctly, you were the head of strategic planning in Buenos Aires for Sachi and Sachi for quite a while. I think of such and such, such and Sachi maybe compared to other agencies as being a little wilder, a little more creative, a little more out there. Is my perception correct? Yes, your perception is correct. And actually, the Buenos Aires office, although when Argentina is a small country, very far away, very far away from almost everything. It was called one of the jewels of the crown, meaning that it was one of these interesting offices where a lot of interesting work 
coming from. So although I was in Argentina, I was doing a lot of global work, launching brands. Global meaning low-income markets, you know, like we have two words, like the developed world and low-income markets, what is almost the whole world, but the US, Canada, and some countries for, from Europe, you know, most of the world is a developing world. Mm -hmm. So I launched some, some brands in China, in Russia. So it was, although I was in Argentina, I was doing global work. And I loved it. It was a lot of fun. Those years were a lot of fun. And it was very interesting to understand, especially in Russia and China, when I was working, they were coming, the, like the communist stage was ending and they were starting to understand what capitalism was about. Yeah. So it was a very interesting moment from a social point of view. Yeah. That was a, a great time. And I used to go like very often to China and, and Russia. And also I was working a lot with Brazil, but Brazil is our neighbor. It's like right. very close. So, but the main markets were Brazil, China, and, and Russia. Just want to test one more thing. And then I want to use myself as an example. I, yes. I'm an executive coach in big international companies. And I... I feel like I often get hired because I'm not American, because I'm German, even though I'm a very Americanized German, because the people I get to coach, even though they work for an American company, people don't feel like I'm there to Americanize them. So with you and Sachi and Sachi, mm -hmm. was it an advantage that they didn't send an American to Moscow or they didn't send an American to, to China, but they had somebody from Argentina who was from a different part of the world. Was that strategic on Sachi and Sachi's part or was that beneficial? It was quite a global team. I think that it wasn't an obstacle, like sometimes it is, but it wasn't like a special skill. You know, I wasn't choose because of that. Like most of the people weren't in the global team. Most of the people weren't American. Gotcha. Yeah. And... Actually, my boss or the office that I reported to wasn't in New York, but in London, mm -hmm. you know, where you have a lot of global influence. So the, the fact that I wasn't a Western, at least it wasn't a weakness like yes. it usually is. Because, you know, it's not the same thing to be German than to be Argentinian. Yeah. Sometimes this was funny because... You know, like, I don't look like what people think that Latinos look like. Mm -hmm. So, and, and the Argentinian accent is very much like the Italian accent. Yeah. Like we speak. Uh, 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 uh. So it was fun. Many times it happened to me in, in the States, for example, if a guy comes and thinks, oh, are you Italian? No, I'm Argentinian. It's like, uh, uh. <laughs> you're not that sexy anymore. <laughs> It's, so not, it's not sexy as Italian, huh? As Italian, exactly. <laughs> now, I'm sure our listeners are listening to you and the story of this international work, which sounds, first of all, amazing, uh, sexy, exciting. And then the obvious question is, why did you move on? Why did you move on to other things? Why did you leave Sachi and Sachi? Well, Sachi and Sachi left me. <laughs> okay. The work was organized. 
like in five big, big hubs around the world. And then as we move into a more globalized reality, where really you have two big mindsets, as I I said, develop work and developing work, suddenly they, they decided to merge a lot of the work that was being done. Yeah. And all the unit that I work in was closed. And I decided that I didn't want to go back. Well, I was very free working there because I traveled a lot. So I didn't have, you know, like nine to six job that now no one does. But back then, most of the people did. And I didn't want to go and work in an office all day. So I decided to try like a solo yeah career and see where life takes me. I went back to work with social trends, you know, like macro social trends. And there I realized that the fact that the population was aging was changing everything. Before that, I felt that I was, you know, a 50 plus person. And I realized, for example, that some, because I went back to some job interviews And in some job interviews, I realized that there was some ageism in the corporate culture, which I didn't realize before because I was very busy. So I didn't realize that ageism existed. But when I I started having interviews, I realized that ageism existed. And and at the same time, my dad got sick. So I realized what the struggles of having someone that you have to take care of and the burden of it. So like many things came together and made me realize that these these things that are happening to me are really the things that are shaping society today. And I realized how important the fact that we are all going to have long life is and how many things need to be changed in the way that society is designed or the world is designed. Because we have always had old people no, Platon, the philosopher, was old, yeah. but most of the people died young. So the fact that now almost all of us will have and, and are having long lives, well, right. that changes everything. Changes what, how we live the journey of life, how right. cities need to be designed, how products need to be designed, how we think about the, the work that we did, how we are going to support ourselves with longer lives. So I I realized that that is like the big connecting idea for everything that I want to do from now on. There's so many things you just said that I'd like to go deeper in. So let me just start with one and we'll get to the others hopefully. So when you mentioned that that you personally became more aware of ageism, let me just test this. Was it that and I'm using myself again. I remember interviewing for a job when I was 35, so I wasn't old, but I was interviewing for somebody who was 24 who was going to be my boss. And I suddenly felt really old, you know, and I was only 35. Yeah. Was it that suddenly you were the older woman interviewing with younger people or people, at least in the United States, are not allowed to ask how old you are, but people were sort of curious about how old you are? Describe that a little bit. Yes, and and also because I was working in advertising and it was was like this tipping point where everything was becoming digital. Yeah. That everybody assumed that I I wasn't that 
skilled in that area because I was in my 50s. Mm-hmm. Where it wasn't like that because I was working in China for a long time. So I was more, more capable to be the job that needed to be done, even more capable than the people that was interviewing me, I thought. Yeah. But the fact that I wasn't young yeah. meant that I wasn't able to lead a digital team. Very. But then people had the idea that or in agencies or in companies, you had all the things that the company was doing and then you had the digital team. Today, four or five years later, we understand that everything is digital. Yeah. We don't speak about digital things because everything is digital. If something is not digital, it's meant to die. A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the, the My Fourth Act mastermind groups where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. You did such a wonderful job of sort of setting the stage for we're all getting older, we're going to live longer, and we need to figure out what we're doing during that time. You use the term silver economy, not here yet, but in, in the work you do, you identify as somebody who wants to make a change in the silver economy. So for somebody who doesn't yet know the word silver economy, what does that mean to you? Silver economy, it means, well, not to me, but for example, to, you know, like organizations like the World World Bank, Oxford economy. Silver economy is all the economic movement that comes as a consequence of the demographic transition that humanity is going through. Mm-hmm. Again, the fact that less babies are born, less babies are born and our lives are longer. It's not only the fact that our lives are longer. It's the fact that the way in which humanity is structured is changing because also we have less babies. In 2018, for the first time in the world, we had more people that are over 65 than children that are under five. You know, so this, this this pyramid that is not is not longer a pyramid, although we're still saying that this shift in the demographic, in the way that humanity is set up from a demographic standpoint, has a lot of impact in our economy. So it's not only selling things to these new old people. We have more old people. And, hey, let's see what we're going to sell to them. But it's all the economic movement that comes from, for example, from all the new jobs that are going to be created, all the ecosystem of taking care of the people that are that are not able to take care of themselves, is the fact that we have more entrepreneurs that are over 50 than young entrepreneurs. Although if I say entrepreneur, everybody thinks of a hipster that is in his or her 20s. The fact that is successful ventures are more likely to be guided by someone that is over 50 is the fact that we have to rethink 
corporate cultures and introduce the age perspective into the corporate culture to understand that I don't like to speak about generations because generations are labels that mean that because you have a certain age, you have certain values and, and certain skills and a certain way of doing that. So I don't like to speak about generations, but we need to think and design work cultures that are age diverse. You, when I write the introduction to you, uh, I use language that you use to describe yourself and you describe yourself as an anti-aging activist. So an activist is a powerful word. Some people could hear when you're into aging is, oh, have a lot of cosmetic surgery and keep looking young. And I have a feeling that's not what you're talking about. So when you talk about being an anti-aging activist, language, um, what does that mean to you? What I think I am, I try, what I try to be at least, is an anti-ageism activist like, the fact that we are all getting older and we are all going to be old, we need to understand that being old is not bad. I hate this, you know, like these ideas like uh, 60 are the new 40s. <laughs> Have you heard that? Oh, I yes. think that, that is so stupid. What what does that mean? We have we have a new way of living our 60s. Because we are healthier, we are stronger, we are we have more projects. Like 30 years have been added to our lifespan, and we have the opportunity to fill them with projects, with ideas, with more acts. Like you, you speak about this, no? We have more acts. A new act has been added to our life. So I think that we need to be okay with the idea of being old. You know, the, all, all these ideas like die late the youngest you can be. I don't know how you say that. It, it's a saying that people say in Spanish, like die the latest that you can die, being the youngest that you can be. That is so stupid. What, what, you know, what is yeah, the idea? I, 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 that, I totally get it. What does that mean? You know. So I try to change the narrative about around age. Also, the truth is that I'm 53 I'm not 85 so sometimes I in my community I have many older women that sometimes tell me oh you can say that you you make a lot of fun but come on you're 53 you're not 90 so you speak you don't even know what you're speaking about maybe I do my best maybe in 20 years I'm going to say oh I was I was so confused well you started this community called Plateadas. For, if I understand correctly, it's for women in their 50s. And also, if I stand correctly, it's exactly what you just described, which is to investigate the stories we have about aging and maybe look at what different stories we might have, but you do this collectively. Can you talk a little more about what happens in Plateadas? I'm curious. Plateada, come, uh, plateada means silver. It comes, obviously, because of the gray hair, although it's not a top dyeing your hair kind of thing. But, you know, even if you cover your gray hair or not, it yeah. is there. And it means that you 
lived many years and you have experience and you have success in some things, you have failed, you have learned, no? And also I like to say, like the silver, we are strong, like the metal, we are strong and we shine on our own. So that is, and, and Plateas actually started in a very rational way. When I decided to start working in this, when I decided to start working on my own, first I thought, okay, I'm going to just do freelance doing planning stuff. So I'm going to prepare a paper on this. And I'm going to use the paper to visit potential clients. And I couldn't find, find data. So I created a Facebook and an Instagram profile to start collecting data. I asked questions. So I created a group of women to ask them questions and I was whatever. Then I won't speak to them anymore. <laughs> but it grew on its own. Right. So first my idea was like, okay, I'll speak about this and then I speak about some, you know, like some consultants that speak about different stuff. But what happened in that community that, that I created to collect data was so strong. So I did an event and then whatever, COVID came and we, and the community grew online. And well, right now it's not that big either. I have like 8,000 women and we speak about different stuff. And now we speak a lot about sex, like trying to change the ideas and the ideas that limitate ourselves in terms of sexuality. And also because I have a lot of fun doing that. It's a subject that that I like a lot. So we speak a lot about that. But we also speak about, yes, mostly the, the ideas that constrain ourselves. Sometimes it's something so, so small, like saying, uh, at what, what makeup do you have to use when you are 60? Whatever you want. Right. And they love it. It's such a simple idea. You, what makeup suits you better when you are 60? The one that you like. And they are like, yeah, no, such a simple idea. But sometimes when it comes to age, it's not that obvious. It seems that when you become 50, 60, you have to become a, a less vibrant version of what you wear. I know that you are, have been working on a book about sex and desire and its expression for women as they get older. And you, since you just mentioned this, um, how far along are you in the book? And uh, what are some things you've learned about sex and desire for women who get older as you have been writing this book? Well, I plan to have 10 chapters and I'm in the middle of chapter number nine, mm -hmm. so quite advanced. Um, well, actually, I first I wanted to, I, I didn't decide to write the book. Like people starting telling me stories like, oh, you know, Flora, this, I never told this to anyone. So I was like, oh, okay, this is really powerful. First, I wanted to do something lighter. You know, like hot stories from older women without thinking that much. Uh, but then people started telling me some stories that were really deep 
and personal and sometimes with struggle, then with fun also. So I don't know if it's if if it's going to end up being something like a sociological kind of thing, you know? Like mm-hmm. I, I wanted to make it lighter, but I don't know. I guess I'm not a light and fun person. And so it ended up being like a little bit more <laughs> brainy. <laughs> So now as as I go through, I'm like, no, this is too, you know, like too complicated, too, yeah, too brainy. And I I wanted to make something like both more like about empowerment and and fun. So what I learned is that really there are like desire, sex, sex desire, but sex desire as a metaphor for desire in life, this desire for life. It's something that is very personal. So the first thing that I learned is that I wanted to write about desiring older women. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't generalize, you know, like, but I think that that happens in, in every area of life. As we grow, we become more different one of each other, no? As we decide in which direction we want to go. So that was a huge learning. And, and also, I think that it's interesting because I feel that we are in a in a tipping point in terms of older women sexuality, because we have, well, of course, all the, the impact of feminism, you know, and changing the rules. Also, the place that women in society, our place in society is changing year after year, like the spaces in which we are allowed to develop ourselves and have fun and enjoy and be ourselves and say, this is what I want for me. This is what I'm not going to do anymore. This is what I want to do now. So I realize that sex is a metaphor of this big social change. And also the fact that we are getting more educated in everything every year. And sex is one of those areas in which we wouldn't Women didn't have, or we didn't have a lot of information about ourselves before. And thanks to social media, we are being increasingly educated and understanding how our bodies work. And with information, you have power and pleasure. Oh, that was so beautifully said. Now, I I was thinking about the 90-year-old woman who said, oh, Flora, you're only 53. You're not really that old yet. So I want to put this question to you. You just you just spoke so beautifully about growing and discovering new things and, and including sexuality, but even every aspect of life. So based on what you, Flora, know about yourself at this age, if you look to the future, are there some things that you would like to explore that you haven't yet? Are there some things that you go, I want to do less of these things? What comes up for you as you think of the next few years and things to play with for yourself? Oh, I'm not going to be very original here. I want to work less. I want to work less. Sexually, I want to explore more, Mm -hmm. of course. More, you know, more people, more. (laughs) Things that I don't even know that exist. Yeah. and I want to have fun. I think that I have always been like very serious, you know, or like not allowing me to have just like simple fun, you know, enjoying life just because. So I want to have less, be le- less responsible, be more 
be less responsible, not in a bad way, but, you know, like understanding that I can't control everything and try to just flow. Yeah. I guess that that's what people want after 50, so I'm not very original, but, you know. Well, the question that often comes up for people in the 60s who have had big careers and stop. And I love what you said about wanting to work less. I, I feel totally the same way. But people always ask, so, well, what are you going to do with your time? You know, and you have all this time and before your time was structured. But now, so you mentioned some of those things, which I hear just, uh, I hear a lot of desire to explore and have fun. Are there other specific activities, hobbies, travels, anything else that's floating around for you? Travels, of course. I would like to work. Well, I don't know because hobby and work, the the fact is I work a lot because a lot of things, I find that they are amazing, interesting. So I find myself entangled in a lot of projects that don't give me money, but, you know, But that I'm passionate about. So I think that I have to try to separate, like, is this bringing me pleasure or is it just work? Although I need to survive and pay for my bills and I have two sons that I need to support, so I need to work. But sometimes I have different... Do you know who John Price is? Yes. John Price, the sex educator for elderly people. I would love to be the Latin American John Price. I hope she... Hurts this. <laughs> That's I, I would love to be um uh, So I guess that that is work, but that is work with a lot of fun and with a meaning. Yeah. I would like to to do the meaningful work, and and I really don't care that much about helping. You know, companies selling shampoo to right. older people, but sometimes that pays the bills. So last question, based on what you, Flora, know about life right now, and you've had a very rich life uh, with many amazing experiences. And if you had the chance to give younger Flora some advice, not to change what she does in life, but based on what you know now, what would you say to younger Flora? Don't worry so much for approval. and. I would say you are right because as time goes by, I realized that in many situations I was right, but I trusted more what other people said, what other people thought, or what what I thought that other people thought. And at the end of the day, I was right. Sometimes, you know, the, all that other people that you worry about, they don't exist. They are in your head. You worry about what people would say, but then if you, who are those people? Who exactly? You realize that it's, it's no one. It's just your own self holding you back. So true. Now, I'm sure there are listeners who want to learn more about the work you do and your work in the silver economy. I, I know you have a business, you have a website. Where, where would you like to direct people who want to just follow you a little more? Well, they can, for example, find me in Instagram. It is complicated because it's plateadas by Flora Proverbio. What do you mean? But I guess that if you in, in Instagram you just write Flora F L O R I 
proverbio, P-R-O-V-E-R-B-I-O. Mm-hmm. I guess that if you just type, type that, I'm going to appear. You can find me in LinkedIn also for a more professional type of thing. Wonderful. Unfortunately, everything is in Spanish, but well, everything can, can be translated get. these days. So that that's <laughs> no barrier whatsoever. I uh, I thank you so much for this conversation and for uh, just the the wonderful ex- explorations around getting older that you're doing for your community, but for all of us, really. So as as a man in the sixties, I thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. And I loved having this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us. Give us a review. And let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.